الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala May the blessing of Allah be upon his messenger Our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam Brothers and sisters once again Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh We welcome you to this uh, Islamic studies course A bit of a repeat for those who have just joined us today This is inshallah an Islamic studies course It's a series of nine lectures uh, The topic entitled the sweetness of Iman, the sweetness of faith, that is. It's based on a book by Al-Imam Ibn Qudama Al-Maqdisi, the title of the book, Lum'atul Atiqad, and as the Sheikh referred to the history of the Imam Ibn Qudama yesterday, the reference to this book usually, and the books of history, referred to as the Book of Atiqad, Creed book, yeah, or the, the Book of Creed. But uh, maybe at uh, later scholars, at later dates, uh, they just added this Lam'atu to the title, Lam'atu al-A'tiqad it became. In any case, I don't want to pinch any more uh, time from this, uh, again, uh, late started uh, lecture, uh, this valuable time. So I leave the microphone to our uh, guest speaker, Brother Ali Atamimi from the USA, who is, inshallah, well known to you, as we said yesterday, uh, to start uh, this, the second lecture in the series, inshallah. So I think we'll just, you know, start in the uh, creed in earnest. Does everybody have a uh, handout or? So. Uh, so can I just, uh, if you haven't got this uh, syllabus or handout, which we, uh, please go to the registration after this lecture. You need to register and then get a copy, inshallah. And the sisters need to get a copy after they register from the organizing committee sisters. All right, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll just start uh, from point one and we'll just continue as much as the time uh, you know, takes us. Um, the author, Ibn Khudama, begins his aqidah uh, with uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which... Uh, first thing you notice is that big white box that didn't come out, so it's so supposed to be there in Arabic, but anyway, um, so I mean, that, that's typical that uh, when in books of knowledge that the ulama would begin their works with al-basmala, with the uh, you know, bismillah rahim because uh, they do so following the example of Allah's scripture, and following the example of the Prophet wasallam's letters who the Prophet would send to the various kings, and like the letter he sent to Heraclius, I mean, the Prophet began with al-Basmala. So, and the al-Basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, it means that I begin with, or I start with Allah's name, in, in whatever act you're doing. Uh, and so one mentions Allah's name uh, in order to uh, seek the blessing and the assistance of Allah in the successful completion of that task. And if you look at the Arabic grammar, when, when you say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, it doesn't have a verb to it. I mean, we, I mean in English we say, uh, it's usually translated in the name of Allah. You know, maybe it should be best translated with the name of Allah rather than in the name of Allah. But uh, with the name of Allah, and then it's, there's no verb mentioned, right? You say with the name of Allah, 
who is Ar-Rahman, who is Ar-Rahim. So the point is, is that, I mean, it's, it's, it's like this in the Arabic language, so that, you know, with the name of Allah, I am giving this lecture. With the name of Allah, I'm, I am uh, writing this book. With the name of Allah, I'm, I'm going to eat my food, or, you know, or whatever. So, so the, the verb is, 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 is um, not mentioned in the, in the formula, I mean, on purpose, in order to make it general for whatever action you do. Okay, so Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and then he begins his creed, then by praising Allah. So he says, Alhamdulillah, all praise belongs to Allah, who is the object of praise in every tongue and the object of worship uh, during every time. Uh, one, one other thing which I, I mentioned yesterday that uh, I, I want to bring out for the new brothers that I mean this is a draft translation that I did a long time ago. So uh, the ayats and the ahadith in this translation. Uh, were just taken from one of the translations of the meanings of the Quran, and so we'll probably correct some of it as we as we go through. But um, uh, so he says, all praise belongs to Allah, who is the object of praise in every tongue, and the object of worship during every time. So I mean, look, I mean, this is I mean a very you know beautiful statement. I mean, at least it impressed me when I when I first uh, read it. I mean, here he's you know I mean he's saying that you know Allah, our Lord you know, is praised by every tongue, in other words, by every language. And it's permissible to praise Allah And likewise, uh, he said uh, to, uh, that um, Allah is also worshipped during every time. So, you know, this is, this is he's, he's, he's praising Allah with these two, you know, forms of praise. That here Allah is praised by every tongue, you know, by every single language. In fact, all creatures praise Allah And likewise, there is not a single place nor a single time except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worshipped. And so this is the quality of Allah. And then he says, uh, He whom, uh, referring to Allah, no place is vacant from his knowledge. In other words, Allah knows everything. There is nothing which is hidden from Allah. Uh, nor does one affair occupy him from another. So, in other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not occupied by one affair from another, meaning that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not occupied from answering the prayers of one individual from, from, from answering the affairs of another. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not uh, occupied from, because he is controlling the affairs of the universe, he doesn't have time or the ability to answer our, our prayers or to take care of his servants and so forth. No, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is not uh, occupied from, from one affair to another. Then he says that he is sublime from having any resemblance or rival, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unique because he's perfect. So nobody resembles Allah nor anybody rivals Allah. And he is far removed from having a wife or children. This is because of Allah's another aspect of his perfection that he is self sufficient. He's al Ghani. And so therefore he neither has wife or children. And his ruling is enforced among all his slaves. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's judgment, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees something, uh, he says be and it is, and so no one can repel Allah's uh, ruling. Minds cannot liken him by reflection, nor can hearts fancy him by imagination. Uh, this is something which is important also to, to contemplate. In other words, that if we want to know Allah azawajal, you know, and no mind can just by thinking, by philosophical speculation, know who Allah is. 
nor can you sit there and imagine who Allah is, you know, because whatever you think, as we'll find out later when we go through the creed, that whatever comes to your mind as to how Allah is, Allah is not like that. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no, uh, no similitude can be given of Allah. And then he quotes the ayah from the Quran that there is nothing like unto him and that he is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. Uh, he then says that unto him, meaning unto Allah, belongs the most beautiful names and the most exalted attributes. So here's another quality of praise he's giving to Allah that, and as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that belonging to him are the most beautiful names and likewise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, the most exalted attributes. And then he quotes two or three verses from Surah Baha, uh, informing us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above his throne, Ar-Rahman wa ala al-Arshistawa, and that belonging to him is everything in the heavens and the earth, and that he knows all. Uh, then he says that he has encompassed everything by his knowledge, and he has subdued everything with his might and judgment, and he has spread over everything with his mercy and knowledge. He knows what is before them, in other words, he knows what will happen in the future to his creatures, and he knows what is behind him, he knows what has happened to them, and they comprehend him not in knowledge. In other words, they cannot know everything about Allah, which we'll discuss. So that first paragraph, I mean, Ibn Qudama, rahimahullah, he, he was used this just to, I mean he mentioned about 11 or 12 different aspects of Allah in order to praise Allah. This is just a form of praise of Allah But then he starts giving some of the principles of Aqeedah. And so we come to the next section which I, I, I gave that um, section heading, Allah's attributes. Um, that the first point is that he is to be described by what he has described himself uh, in his great scripture and upon the tongue of his noble prophet. So that's the first rule which we need to understand. When it comes to knowing Allah, okay, you can put a box around that or circle it or put anything to uh, indicate that. That's the first principle which a believer must have in his heart. When it comes to how does one know Allah? How does one understand Allah's names and attributes? Well, you only describe Allah as Allah has described himself or how the Prophet ﷺ described him. Now last night we sort of alluded to the point how that there are basically three human, uh, three ways known among human beings in terms of the matters of the unseen. There are the ways of the philosophers and then there are the ways of the mystics and there are the ways of, of the prophets of Allah and their followers. And the, the, we said that the ways of the prophets of Allah and their followers is based upon revelation from Allah. And so therefore, in knowing Allah, how, does, how do I know my Lord? How, this is something very important, that one knows who he worships. He knows he who he worships. And so therefore, you only know Allah by what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed of himself to us. And so in our, in, with us, in our ummah, it means is how Allah described himself by his words in the Qur'an, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described himself by, uh, by the words of the Prophet wasallam, which the sunnah, of course, is another form of revelation from Allah. And so therefore, if, we, if that's the rule, then it follows that whatever we find in the Qur'an, or we find correctly reported upon the Prophet wasallam, because as you know, 
there, the words which are attributed to the Prophet are two groups. There are words which are truly attributable to the Prophet which we call the Sahih Hadith, right? And then there are words which are not uh, attributed to the Prophet but are not confirmed upon him because the Hadith is weak. So if it's authentically reported upon the Chosen One, meaning Al-Mustafa, meaning the Prophet from the attributes of Allah, Arhuz Ar-Rahman, then it is incumbent upon us to believe in that report, to receive it with submission and acceptance, and to forsake resisting it, whether by rejecting it, by allegorically interpreting it, or by resembling or likening that attribute to those of his creation. So, if, if we come about that, if we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to be, we're supposed to believe in Allah by how he described himself, and, or how the Prophet ﷺ described him. And so therefore, we read in the Qur'an, or we come across a hadith, uh, authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which describes Allah. So what should be our position then? We should accept it. I mean, we should not reject it. Likewise, we should not try to interpret it. Likewise, we should not try to liken Allah uh, with His creatures. And so these are three paths which people make an error to it. Either they come across the ayah, they come across the, the Quranic verse, or they come across the hadith of the Prophet mentioning an attribute by Allah and instead of accepting it, they reject it. Like, like the pagan Arabs. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the Prophet used to recite to them uh, concerning Allah's attribute that He's Ar-Rahman, they, they, they said, who is Ar-Rahman? We don't know anybody called Ar-Rahman. I and mean, this is what they said. They denied that attribute of Allah. وَهُمْ يَكْفُرُونَ بِالرَّحْمَانِ That's what Allah says in the Quran. So, they rejected that, that ayah. Now, likewise, certain Muslims, when they come across certain verses of the Quran, they likewise would not accept that ayah. In fact, um, there was one sect uh, which existed, uh, known as the Muratizila, who, who they used to try to, uh, there's a certain ayah in the Quran uh, where it says, وَكَلَّمُ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke directly to Moses. They found this because they didn't believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke, and we'll discuss that in the, in the next lecture. So they used to reject this ayah from the Qur'an. And they used to try to, when they were running the affairs of the Muslims, they used to try to force uh, people not to read this ayah in the Qur'an because their aqidah was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not speak. And this ayah says that Allah spoke directly to Moses. So to reject any ayah in the Qur'an, to reject any hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is unbelief. Right? A person becomes an unbeliever. Now the other uh, wrong approach is that which is known as ta'wil, which means, literally the word ta'wil means to interpret or to explain. And in this sense it means to allegorically interpret. In other words, to say that when one comes across an attribute of Allah um, and, and says that, for instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, find, one finds in the Qur'an, mentioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands, as, as we will see in an example Ibn Qudama gives. So one says that, well, uh, here the word hands is allegorical, and so therefore it means Allah's bounty, or Allah's power. This also is an incorrect approach. And here, if somebody falls, if someone falls into ta'weel, then it depends. If he does this out of ijtihad, um, you know, and, he, and there's some sort of uh, 
there's some sort of evidences in the Arabic language, then, then, then he is a mujtahid, he's not considered to be sinful. But if he does this out of uh, following his desires and, or fanatically following his madhab, which is a madhab of ta'wil, then if there, is a, if there is in the Arabic language some evidence of this, he's considered to, he has committed a major sin, so he's a fasiq. But if there's no evidence for this ta'wil in the Arabic language, then he becomes an unbeliever. Uh, for example, uh, the ayah in, in Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that Moses said to uh, the Jews, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرَكُمْ أَنْ تَذْبَحُوا بَقَرًا that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands you that you slaughter a cow. This is an ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah. So the Shia, they also do ta'wil. And so when they recite this verse, they say the reference here to the cow refers to Aisha. So they say then therefore this is a command from Allah to kill Aisha. And it's a reference and therefore for the war that occurred uh, during the time of Ali's Khilafah between Ali radiallahu anhu uh, in the, the battle of Al-Jamal and uh, Aisha and, and the other Sahaba so the, the point is is that this type of ta'wil there's no, there's no basis for this in the Arabic language because no one can say that in the Arabic language that the word uh, baqara or cow right, can refer to, to a, uh, uh, another human being and so this is playing with Allah's book so this is kufr this takes a person outside of the fold of Islam but when somebody for instance says that the there is an, an ayah where it says Tabarak al-ladhi biyadihi al-mulk Blessed is he who in his hand is the dominion. Alright? And somebody says here that hand means power. Okay? Or control. That there is in the Arabic language one could find references to, to show, uh, to have this type of interpretation, even though this interpretation is false here, as we'll see. So here, one would say that if somebody explained that, uh, were someone to explain that and say that, well, here Allah's hand refers to his power or his sway, then because there is some sort of evidence to this type of interpretation in the Arabic language, he doesn't become a kafir. He's considered to be a fasiq, unless he's committing ijtihad, and then if it's as if she had, of course, uh, he is not condemned, even though his opinion is wrong. So th- that's that uh, regards that. As far as the tashbih or tamthil, um, to resemble Allah to his creation, then this is unbelief. If someone resembles Allah to his creation, then he's an unbeliever. If someone says that Allah is like a human being, or that a human being is like Allah, or like Allah is like any of his creatures, then, or any of his creatures are like Allah, then this is unbelief. So the point is, is that you know, I mean, here Ibn Qadamah has set for us a foundation. That The first point is that whatever Allah describes himself by, we must, in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah, we must uh, describe him by that. And then, when we come to a ayah or a hadith, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described himself by, then what? We must submit and accept that. This is, this is our faith. And we shouldn't reject that, because if we were to reject it, we become unbelievers. We shouldn't interpret that, because to interpret it is wrong, and it could be unbelief, it could be a sin, or it could be an ishtihad. And likewise, we should not liken Allah with his creatures, because to liken Allah with his creatures is also uh, an unbelief. Is also unbelief. Then Ibn Qudamah says, 
whatever of these reports that we find difficult to comprehend, it is required to affirm its wording and to forsake delving into its meaning. Okay. So if you come across an ayah or hadith regarding Allah's attributes, and you don't understand it, I mean, for instance, it doesn't, you don't comprehend its meaning. Uh, this is the same with any matter of, of the religion, but in particular with Allah's attributes. I mean, what, what, is, what is a believer's position here? He, he, he should, in this case, affirm its wording and forsake delving into its meaning. So you come across an ayah describing Allah or a hadith, you don't understand it. You shouldn't then try to say, well, because I don't understand it, let me try to interpret it in a way that makes sense to me. No, but rather you should say that this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, this is what the Prophet has said, and so therefore I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to submit to it, even though I don't understand its meaning. Because Allah has said it, and because the Prophet has said it. So as Ibn Qudam says, what we rather entrust knowledge of its reality to he who has spoken it, and we place the responsibility of our faith in it upon he who has transmitted it. So, in other words, you come across an ayah in the Qur'an, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned something about himself, and you don't understand that meaning. One accepts it, one affirms it, because Allah has said so, but, and one says, its meaning is according to he who spoke it. Its meaning is according to what Allah intended. And I believe this because I was informed this by the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ came to me and, and, and said, I mean, or, or it's been transmitted to us that the Prophet ﷺ said that this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said such and such, this ayah. And, uh, or if it's a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, his companions transmitted to us that the, the Prophet ﷺ said such and such regarding Allah Azawajal. So, therefore, our faith, we, we place, we entrust the responsibility for the reason why we believe in that, because we were told that this is what we, that this is what, how Allah is. And so on the Day of Judgment, when Allah asks us, well, how do you believe such and such about me? Our response would be what? That, oh Allah, you know, that you spoke and said this about yourself, so I believed in it. Or, you sent to us a prophet, and our prophet told us this about you, so we believed in it. So entrusting the responsibility of that. And this is very important because many people err in this. When they come across something which they don't understand, they begin to philosophize, and they start making up uh, you know, their own interpretations. Now, to accept it, and not to delve into its interpretation, this is, as Ibn Qudama says, by doing so, you are following the way of those who are firmly grounded in knowledge, regarding whom Allah has praised in His clear scripture by His statement, Subhanahu wa Taala, وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّ بِهِ كُلٌّ مِنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا مِنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا that the those who are firmly rooted in knowledge, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says. We, that they say we believe in it all. In other words, this is a reference to when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he has sent down the book of it, our ayat, which are muhkamat, which are clear in meaning, and there are other ayats which are mutashabihat, which are unclear in meaning. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes to us that those who have a perversity in their heart, they try to interpret those ayats which are not clear in meaning, but as far as those who are firmly rooted in knowledge, they say we believe in it all, meaning we believe in all those I, in all the book, whether it's clear in meaning to us or whether it is unclear to us, because it's all from our Lord. 
It's all from our Lord. So this is how we should be when we come across an ayah of the Qur'an or a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ to which we do not know its interpretation. We should say we believe in it because it is from Allah and we should not try to delve into that meaning. And another point to point out here is that the fact that the ayah is unclear, that's something relative. In other words, the ayah might be unclear to me but it might not be unclear to yourself, you see. And so therefore, if it's unclear to one person, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's unclear to all people. But rather we should know that with respect to the ayat in and of themselves, they're, they're not unclear. I mean, the ayat in and of themselves are not unclear in the sense that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke them and Allah has described His book that His book is mubin, clear. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that His book is a guidance. So if it's a guidance, then therefore it should not have any confusion in it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has explained that his book is also tibyanan likulli shay, a clarification of all things. And so if the Qur'an is like that, then therefore any sort of confusion that one might come in un- understanding something, that's in, with regards to that person himself. But it does not mean that the ayah in and of itself is confusing. So it's a relative matter. So therefore other people, to other people who have knowledge, they might not find it confusing. Now, yes, there are certain things in the Qur'an which only Allah knows the meaning of, but that's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing matters which the meaning of is known, like Allah's attributes. I mean, what, what is not known is, for instance, like, uh, when is the hour of judgment, um, the meaning of those detached letters like alaf, mim, and so forth. Okay, so that's how we're supposed to act regarding matters which are unclear to us, and... At the same time, Allah condemned those who try to interpret that, which is unclear. And so he says, while he has said in condemnation of those who seek uh, uh, its interpretation of the ambiguous of his revelation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, As far as those who in their hearts is a perversity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying these are people who are perverse. In other words, they're not seeking the truth. There is a sickness in their heart. What, what about these people? That they follow, instead of following the clear ayat, they follow, they try to follow those ayat which are ambiguous in meaning. Why? Seeking to cause fitna. And also, they're also trying to find its interpretation. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed them, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ that none knows this interpretation but Allah. So to try to seek that would only lead one into uh, being astray. Um, so with regards to Allah's attributes, there are, there, there are two aspects of each attribute of Allah. Which, uh, there are, it's the meaning of the attribute. And then there is the reality or the nature of that attribute. The meaning of the attribute is something which is known in the Arabic language. Because Allah spoke it clearly in an Arabic tongue which is understood and so forth. So when, for instance, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, to give an example, when Allah says to us, Ar-Rahman wa ala al-Arsh istawa, that He is Allah, Ar-Rahman, who upon His throne has mounted, this is something which we understand in Arabic. However, its nature, the reality of that, is something which we do not know. Because we, we, there is no way we can make a similitude to Allah Azawajal. I mean, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us, that the, the, the ark of Noah 
And Allah uses the same verb, stoa, which means to mount or to settle. That, the, uh, that Noah's Ark settled upon the mountain of Judi, right? We can understand that, because to have a boat settling on a mountain, right? And the water to a trough from a piece of land and a boat settles upon that. That's something which we can comprehend. How come? Because there is an example for that that we can see in this world. I mean, you can go to to any, uh, any and, and see a boat on any part of a land, you know, on on dry on you know dry shore, and, and you can understand that similitude. But when it comes to Allah Azawajal about about Him being on His throne, you cannot understand its reality because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has no equal, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala one cannot draw an example with Allah Azawajal. But yet its meaning is understood to us in terms of that Allah is above His throne is something which is understood. So we understand its meaning, but its reality. Its nature is something which we cannot understand, we cannot comprehend, because one cannot make an example, one cannot uh, strike a similitude, one cannot make an analogy with Allah Azza And the same thing with all the matters of the unseen. For instance, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala informs us that He has created the angels having two, three, or four pairs of wings. Now, the notion of wings is something which we can understand. I mean, not, there's not any single one of us, when I say to them, I mean, who speaks the English language, when I say the word wing, except that he understands what a wing is. Um, if he's an, a speaker of the English language, and likewise in the Arabic, ajniha, I mean, if you say the wings in Arabic, the word ajniha, I mean, any speaker of the Arabic language understands that. But what is the nature of the, a wing of an angel? That is something which we do not know. I mean, the reality of that, how that wing is. Why? Because the angels are a matter of the unseen. We have no no similitude to make a resemblance to that. If, if I tell you that, oh, there, I, I saw, a, uh, I was driving and I saw a, uh, a hawk and it had a very large wingspan, you might be able to imagine that, right? Because you maybe have seen a hawk before. All right? Or I saw a bird and its wings were this color because you have seen maybe that type of bird. So you can make an analogy. You can draw a comparison. So you can understand what its nature is. Okay, but for an angel, none of us have seen an angel, so therefore, how the angel's wing is, we don't know. But we know that the angel has a wing because Allah has told us such. Okay, likewise regarding paradise, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us in paradise that there are rivers, and that these rivers are from milk and from water and from you know wine and from honey. Now, when I say to you the word river, right, or I mean that is something which you understand. And likewise, when I say to you, milk or honey or water or, or wine, that is something which you understand. But what is the reality? What is the true nature of that milk, of that honey, of that wine, of that water in paradise? One cannot know, because only the name is similar here, as Ibn Abbas says. Likewise, what is the true nature of that river? One does not know. If you've never been to uh, Washington, D.C., I could describe how the Potomac River is. I could say, well, the Potomac River is so-and-so wide, it's so-and-so its color, and, and so forth. And, and you might be able to understand what I am talking about because maybe you've seen a river in your life or you, you, know, you know something about rivers because that river is going to be, I mean, more or less like other rivers here on the earth. But a heavenly river, one would not know its true nature, its true reality. So, the point is, is that with all these matters of the unseen, we can understand its meaning if, if, we, under, if we read the Arabic language, uh, but we might, we'll never understand its reality, its true nature, because this is something which is beyond 
uh, any similitude in this world. And so to seek that understanding, to seek the understanding of that reality, is, is something which indicates a perversity of the heart. But rather, because only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that. And so that's why the Prophet said in a hadith reported by Aisha in Sahih al-Bukhari, that if you come across those people who seek you know, the interpretation of these matters, right, then beware of them, because they are the ones who Allah has mentioned in his book that they have a perversity in their heart. And they try to seek its interpretation, and they try to seek fitna. They try to cause dissension and turmoil. Now, what about us? When we come across something which we do not understand its meaning, what should be our, 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 our uh, position? We should accept it, as it's mentioned. Because Allah has said so. Or because the Prophet wasallam, has said so. And, no, and leave its meaning back to Allah uh, uh, okay so and that's the next part he says I mean after reciting that ayah he says so he made in other words Allah made seeking its interpretation an indication of perversity of their heart and he linked it in its condemnation with seeking dissension fitna in other words Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has linked two matters he has linked seeking to interpret these things with causing dissension amongst the, the believers causing fitness so it's something which is serious no. I mean, this, and, and so therefore uh, and then he says he then veiled them from that which they sought and he cut off their hope of ever reaching that by his statement uh, that none knows his interpretation but Allah okay, then he gives us Ibn Qudama gives us um, uh, two quotes here one upon Imam Ahmed and the other upon Imam Shafi. So let's read these two quotes. You know, and feel free. If, I mean, if there's something which we go about that um, that you know you don't understand, that I go about quickly. I mean, just raise your hand or make a comment or something like that, right? I mean, feel a little lighten up or you know, saying feel a little relaxed with me, inshallah. So uh, uh, Imam uh, Abu Abdullah, uh, his kunya Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal, radiyallahu anhu said. Regarding, I mean, he was asked regarding the Prophet's statement, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that Allah descends to the lowest heaven, meaning during the last sort of the night, and the Prophet's statement, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that the believers will see Allah on the day of res- resurrection, and yom al qiyamah, and, and some such similar hadith. I mean, you know, what? How should one act towards those hadith? What, what did Imam Ahmed say? We have faith and we believe in them, without to saying how is their modality. What, what I was just talking about right now. In other words, we accept them. You know, the Prophet ﷺ told us that Allah comes down and descends to the lowest heaven during the last third of the night and says, is there someone who's seeking forgiveness so I may forgive him? Is there somebody who wants something so I may grant it to him? We believe that. But as to how that occurs, we don't say. Because this is something from the unseen, something which we will never know. Because we cannot make an interpretation, uh, we cannot make an analogy, excuse me, uh, with Allah. And likewise... Uh, Right, and we do not reject any of these reports because the Prophet ﷺ said so, and since the Prophet ﷺ said so, therefore we do not reject that report. We do not reject that hadith. If it's a Sahih hadith, and these two examples are examples of Sahih hadith, we do not reject it. We know that the Messenger came with to us with the truth. We do not reject what the Messenger of Allah ﷺ has brought, nor do we describe Allah with more than what he has described himself. In other words, we are not going to say...
point we said that we describe Allah as He has described Himself or as the Prophet ﷺ has described Him. Um, and why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ الشَّيْءِ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ There is nothing like Him and He is all hearing, all seeing. We say as He has said. We say as Allah has said. And we describe Him as He has described Himself. We do not transgress that. The descriptions of men do not reach him. In other words, you know, no matter how you tried, no matter how eloquent you were, no matter how intelligent you were, how pious you were, there is no way you could describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he is. That's what he meant by the descriptions of men do not reach him. Only you would only be able to describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he has described himself. Then Ahmed says, We believe in the whole of the Quran, it's muhkam, it's clear of ayat and it's ayat which are, are, are equivocal meaning it has more than one interpretation we do not separate from him any of his attributes due to the protests of anyone in other words if somebody says well why should we believe regarding Allah so and so we will not deny that because somebody doesn't want to accept that regarding Allah so long as Allah has said so so long as the Prophet has said so then therefore we will accept it we do not transgress the Quran and the Hadith nor do we know the reality of these attributes except by believing the Messenger وسلم, and affirming the Qur'an. In other words, all we know about Allah comes from our faith in, in, in the Qur'an and our faith in the Prophet uh, Then Ibn Qudama uh, describes, which says something which Imam al-Shafi'i said, which is the same thing what Ahmed said, but is a little bit more terse, and, and, I, and I, I like it better, because it's, it's much more clear to the meaning. Uh, Imam Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i uh, عنه, said, I believe in Allah and what was brought from Allah as Allah intended. And I believe in Allah's Messenger and what was brought by Allah's Messenger as uh, Allah's Messenger intended, I should say. Uh, that's just not fully typed there. As Allah's Messenger intended. So, the, the point is, is that uh, <coughs> That this is, I mean, this is a beautiful statement by a Shafi'i, and, and such were the words of the Salaf. I mean, Al Ozari said, and, and, and I remembered Ozari, he died in the year 158. Last, I think last night I said 180 something, but it's 158. Uh, 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 Al Ozari said uh, that um, uh, that the words of the Salaf were terse, I mean, to the point, and the words of the, the later generations were, you know, it's a lot of words and not to the point. And, doesn't have the strength and meaning. So, here Imam al-Shafi'i is giving us a principle which we can live by in our lives in understanding our religion. I believe in Allah and what has been brought from Allah, meaning the Quran, as Allah has intended. And I believe in the Prophet ﷺ and what was brought by the Prophet ﷺ as intended by the Messenger of Allah. <coughs> and then Ibn Khudama says, upon these principles, in other words, describing Allah as he's described himself. That's the first principle we took not rejecting anything uh, in, in the Qur'an um, uh, not, not rejecting anything in the Qur'an uh, ra- uh, but rather accepting it uh, and without interpreting it allegorically or likening Allah to his creatures um, if we do not understand it that we accept it and we say we believe in it and we leave its meaning back to Allah upon these principles the Salaf, the earliest Muslims, those who have been praised by Allah in His book, those who have been praised by the Prophet ﷺ when He said, Khairun nas qarni, the best of humanity is my generation, 
than those who follow this generation and those who follow that generation and also the scholars among the later generations the Khalaf, may Allah be pleased with them all have proceeded this is the path they have taken for they are all in agreement that we must acknowledge Passover in other words accept it as we find it and affirm what has been reported in Allah's scripture and his messenger's sunnah regarding Allah's attributes without attempting to allegorically interpret them uh, we have been commanded as Muslims to follow their footsteps and to be guided by their beacons. In other words, these, these are their ways, a way of like a lighthouse that we should follow. Uh, we have been forewarned from all innovations. I mean, the Prophet has forewarned us from any innovation, and we have been informed that every innovation is a deviation. For the Prophet ﷺ said, "Therefore, you must follow my Sunnah, alaykum bi Sunnati." That it's upon you to follow my sunnah was sunnat, uh, and, the, and, the, and the sunnah of my rightly guided successors. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ told us to hold to the, the sunnah and to stick to it. And he also warned us to be careful from any innovation. For every innovation is an error and every error is in the hellfire. And so that's the hadith of Al-Urbad bin Asariya which uh, he quotes in part here, uh, Ibn Qudama. And Ibn Mas'ud said... Follow and do not innovate. For what you have been given uh, is sufficient. I mean, follow. I mean, follow the religion of Islam. Do not add anything to it from yourselves. Do not deviate from the earliest guidance, because what we were given is sufficient. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us in the Quran, "Al yoma akmaltu lakum dinakum." That today I have completed for you uh, your religion. So, if the religion of Islam is complete, then why is it for us to innovate? Obviously, we are to. Uh, will go astray and we will continue uh, with uh, these statements uh, in the next uh, uh, lecture uh, uh, I guess there's leave some few minutes for uh, questions and answers uh, as we said yesterday inshallah, the system for asking questions uh, preference is given to uh, written questions you've been distributed blank uh, slips of papers for your asking questions, inshallah. The same applies for the sisters. Uh, and then, if we have no written questions, then there is a chance for direct questions to the Sheikh. The sisters may do that through an extension, telephone, internal, internal telephone extension, which is located at the sisters' prayers hall. Uh, a question here, Sheikh. Uh, why is study of aqidah seen as higher form of study than Islamic jurisprudence. Surely uh, the only way to ascertain the correct aqidah, you must have a good or excellent understanding of fiqh, for how else can you first verify revelation, second, outweigh conflicting text, third, moreover, how do we know what constitutes aqidah and what does not? I think this is a reference to a statement you made yesterday. Right. Well, I mean, you know, why is it a higher form of study? Because the subject matters I mentioned yesterday, you know, is sharaf al-ilmi bi sharaf al-ma'lum, that, the, the, that a, a knowledge is according to a subject matter. So when the subject matter is about Allah, then obviously it's more, knowledge, it's more noble, it's more great than to study something regarding uh, jurisprudence here, with the, well, I guess the brother means fiqh, which uh, refers to the actions and the uh, matters uh, dealing with either worship or, you know, human interaction and mu'amalat. 
Now, then the, the brother says, uh, surely the only way we can ascertain the correct aqidah, you must have a good, excellent understanding of fiqh. You know, yes and no. I mean, obviously there are certain principles which, which, you, which are referred to as usul al-fiqh, uh, which are general. They're applicable to whether you're studying aqidah or you're studying uh, fiqh in, in terms of the sharia. Um, and, and usul, so when we say usul al-fiqh, I mean, one shouldn't get confused here by that usul al-fiqh refers to matters of the sharia only, which is called fiqh. Okay? Usul al-fiqh refers to both aqidah and sharia. And so, for instance, that the religion is based upon the Quran and the sunnah and the ijma' and qiyas, right? This is a principle of usul al-fiqh. That's applicable to both studying the aqidah or studying the sharia. That, that, that our religion is based upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the Ijma'ah of the Companions. I mean, this is something which is, you know, general. Uh, uh, or that um, the, the texts of the Qur'an, there are texts which are general and specific. Or there's, you know, abrogating an nasikh and mansukh, an abrogating text and an abrogated text, uh, even though that doesn't apply to aqidah. But these general principles, I mean, they're general principles for studying aqidah. Uh, now, for how can you verify revelation, outweigh conflicting texts, moreover, how do we know what constitutes aqidah and what does not? Well, how can you verify revelation? Uh, one doesn't need to verify the revelation. The re- revelation has already been verified for us. I mean, if you mean in terms of the Qur'an, the Qur'an is, is reported to us in a mutawatir form, and I, one of the, uh, I guess the first um, series I did here a couple of years ago with Ulum al-Qur'an, the sciences of the Qur'an, you can go back to those tapes and refer to them. Uh, the revelation of the Quran is, is given to us in a mutawatir form. So whatever we find, as the scholars say, you know, you know, ma'bayna the two covers. We know this is the words from Allah Azawajal. It hasn't no increase or decrease has been done to that. So one doesn't need to verify the revelation. I mean, one doesn't have to now come and say, okay, show prove to me now that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Taha Ar-Rahman wa that Allah truly said that. I need to know if whether Allah truly said that or not. That's been already affirmed. Likewise, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in general, I mean the, the hadith which are found in the, which are known as, you know, Dawaween al-Islam, the, the, the source books of Islam like al-Bukhari and like Muslim and so forth and these hadith have been affirmed and have been transmitted to us and so therefore we are certain that if we find these scholars uh, have saying so we're certain that then therefore these hadith are authentic uh, if, if the scholars of the Ummah have said so this is something to verify in Revelation now if you're talking about a certain specific hadith like there's a specific hadith regarding a specific matter of aqidah you know is this hadith sahih or ضعيف these are the details of aqidah where one you know there is some room to it, but it's formed as far as the, the major principles of aqidah, the major principles of belief, they've all come to us in a mutawatir form, and so therefore uh, we don't we understand that. As far as conflicting texts, where I'm not aware of any conflicting text uh, regarding any matter of aqidah uh, that one might uh, say it's a conflicting text. Uh, because as I said, the, the major points of belief, the major points of aqidah, like, which is expressed in this book and another, uh, you know, text uh, on aqidah. I mean, are, are matters which are clear and understood and accepted by, uh, and, and so therefore there's no conflicting text. But if there is a conflicting text in a matter of aqidah, then what should be our principle? What should be our principle? I mean, is there something that we don't understand? How should we act towards that? 
Who has wrote the question, Ambrose? You could come down. No, I, I want to hear the answer, so I mean, how should we act towards that? So. Huh? Yeah, we accept it, and we leave its understanding to a lie. So, so if we find, if we come across something, which we, I mean, for instance, let's say somebody says, oh, well, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that, you know, that, that there's a tree, you know, a zakum, you know, which, 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 which grows from, from, from the hellfire. So somebody says, oh, this, to me, is something which I find conflicting. How could a tree grow in fire? Because fire consumes wood. I mean, if somebody was to say that, let's imagine. I mean, you know, we, I mean, we would, we would, we would condemn him saying that, you know, you, you're, this is a perversity in your heart. But rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said so, and so therefore we believe it. And there's no uh, conflict in, in that text. Uh, how do we know what constitutes aqid and what does not? Uh, there is no distinction in, in reality in Islam between what we call aqid and sharia. I mean, this type of distinction uh, is, is only used in order to teach, as, as a means of teaching. But rather, Allah's book is a single whole, and the Prophet ﷺ's sunnah is a single whole. I mean, one does not find in the Qur'an, uh, you know, like a chapter, this is the chapter of aqidah, this is the chapter of fiqh, okay? No, I mean, one finds in the Qur'an, one will find within a single ayah, matters which deal to worship and deals with belief, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, let's think of an example. Well, I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, uh, 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 will mention an ayah, and, and in that ayah will, will have a reference uh, to an aqidah, even though the, the, uh, the, uh, the aqidah, uh, even though it's, it's dealing with an act of worship. For instance, Allah that's a long answer for a long question. Yeah. Uh, what is the position of those Muslims who ascribe some of Allah's attributes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? They do so due to lack of knowledge. Yes, well we, we explained that, right? I mean, didn't we say that to resemble Allah with His creation is what? Huh? I, I couldn't hear you, sir. Disbelief, right. So, so that's the answer. So what is the position of those Muslims who associate some of Allah's attributes to the Prophet They fall into disbelief. Now whether that specific individual is a, becomes an unbeliever, becomes a kafir, well as if the questioner says they do so due to a lack of knowledge, then if he's ignorant, then he needs to be taught. But if he persists, then therefore, he's considered to be an apostate and has left the fold of Islam. Uh, does describing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what he hasn't described himself by in the Quran and the Sunnah, uh, take you outside the fold of Islam? Uh, it can. I mean, it can. I mean, you know, if it depends on, you know, I mean, how how you reach that point to describing Allah by uh, by something which he has not described himself by, but it can lead you outside the fold of Islam. The Ash'aris claim that some of the Salat made at Ta'awil, what's this? Ta'awil? At Allah's attributes, first, is there any evidence of this? Second, are these narrations weak? Sorry, weak in the transmission. Yeah, yeah, the the claim of the Ash'aris that some of the Salaf uh, uh, committed ta'wil concerning Allah's attributes uh, is false. And as, as we, we, we quoted two of the salaf here, Ahmed and uh, Shafi'i, uh, there's no evidence that any of the salaf made any ta'wil regarding Allah's ed- evidence. 
there is one narration um, where we have that Ibn Abbas said regarding one ayah in the Quran uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says the ayah I think what surah is in that uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, says that he that on the day which he will you know unveil okay the saq now uh, um here, you see, if you look at the ayah, the ayah says, on the day in which the saq, and I'll explain what the word saq means, is unveiled. If you notice the ayah, the ayah in and itself doesn't attribute the saq to Allah. Okay? So it, it just says, on the day when the saq is unveiled. So it doesn't say, it doesn't say, the ayah does not say, on the day which Allah's saq is unveiled. So Ibn Abbas, in one report, said that here a saq means a hard matter. I mean, the, the Arabs say that. It's, the word saq literally means in, in the Arabic language leg so, uh, so Ibn Abbas said the unveiling of, of the leg here means that the matter will be hard on the day of judgment Okay, so I mean this is the only report you have in, in the books of the Sunnah uh, some have argued that this report upon Ibn Abbas is, 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 is weak uh, even if we were to accept that it's, it is affirmed upon Ibn Abbas I mean one cannot say that he fell into ta'wil here because in the first place, the ayah doesn't refer to Allah Azawajal. It's not clearly pointing to Allah Azawajal. Uh, it, it just says on the day in which the saq is uh, unveiled. And uh, But there is a hadith of the Prophet of Sahih al-Bukhari, which says that that the when the people are gathered on the day of judgment, they will be uh, gathered in um, uh, 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 groups and then uh, everyone will follow that which he worships. So those who followed the, uh, will, the uh, they will follow the idols, and those who worship Jesus will follow the, the uh, devil, which will appear in the form of, of Jesus. Until all, and they will all go following what they worship, leading them to the hellfire. Until the only one will remain is the believers, and amongst them will be the, the hypocrites. And they will say, uh, you know, what are you waiting for? They're saying we're waiting for Allah. And it'll be, and they'll, and they'll, and they'll say, how will you recognize Allah? It will be said between us and him is a sign. I mean, there, he will show us a sign which we will recognize, and so then Allah will come to them and, and unveil uh, his 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 sack, his uh, his leg, you might say in the English language, and so the believers will then fall prostrate. But the hypocrites will not be able to prostrate. Their 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 backbone will become like a single uh, pole, and they will not be able to uh, prostrate. And this is a hadith of Sahih Bukhari. So you know some ulama took this hadith and they said well this hadith is an interpretation of this ayah but I mean but there's no clear I mean evidence to that because the uh, the ayah I mean the ayah refers to the unveiling of the saq in a general sense it doesn't refer doesn't specifically mention Allah's uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala's name uh, in that uh, so another question inshallah uh, if we don't understand a hadith or an ayah Shouldn't we ask somebody of uh, knowledge or try to find out its meaning in a book of tafsir first? Yes, I mean, we, obviously, if we don't understand a hadith and ayah, we could ask somebody of knowledge or we could look to a book of tafsir. If we, if we felt that we have enough knowledge that if we were to read a book of tafsir, we could interpret it. But my point is that in the end, let us say you've asked somebody of knowledge or you read a book of tafsir and you still don't understand that. What should be your position? as a believer just accept it right just accept it and say it is all from Allah or like a Shafi'i said I believe in Allah and what came from Allah as Allah intended 
and I believe in the Prophet ﷺ and what came from the Prophet as the Prophet ﷺ intended. I mean, in other words, we shouldn't say, well, you know, this, this doesn't make much sense to me and I asked so-and-so and I wasn't really pleased with his answer and I read a couple of books of Tefsi and I didn't find... So I'm going to, to give you my interpretation of what the matter is. I mean, people do do that, right? And that, that, that's, what, that's the perversity in the heart. And, that's, and those are the people who the Prophet ﷺ told us to be aware of. Yeah, I understand the concepts like Qadha and Qadr cannot be fully understood. We'll, we'll come to Al-Qadha and Qadr, so we'll leave that question uh, uh, to right, Jazakallah khair. You have said that uh, there are things, or there are things in the Quran which right. only Allah knows. However, Allah says in the Quran, in the meaning, we have sent down the book so that you show people what has been sent to them. Don't that mean, or doesn't that mean, that there is nothing in the Quran which is not understood? Well, I, I referred to that, I mean, earlier, that in general, in general, you know, uh, the Quran is clear, and this and this ayah is, is a proof to that, that the Quran is clear, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called it a book which is mubin, okay? And likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that his book is tibyan and likulli shaykh. It is something which explains everything. And likewise, Allah described it as a huda, as a guidance. And likewise, this ayah which the brother is referring to in, in Surah Al-Nahl, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we have sent down uh, the, the book so uh, that you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so that you explain to the mankind what was sent down for them. So, in general, the, the Quran is clear, without doubt. But there are, at the same time, the Quran itself tells us there are certain ayat that only Allah knows this interpretation I mean the book is clear but yet there are verses in there which only Allah knows this interpretation like what? like alif lamin this is something which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the interpretation what is the meaning of those three detached letters which begin surah al-baqarah only Allah knows this interpretation of it it has a meaning likewise um, that uh, the, the 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 reality of the of the matters uh, of the of the unseen, like like whether referring to the angels or paradise or hell or Allah Himself, that is something which only Allah knows its meaning. So I mean, the verses of the Quran, as Ibn Abbas said, are four types. There are those verses which anyone who knows the Arabic language would understand its meaning, like when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "As Shem's son." Or al qamar moon. I mean, that's something which anybody who knows the Arabic language understands what the reference here is to. There are certain ayat which no one is excused for not knowing its meaning. There are certain ayat which no one is excused for not knowing its meaning. In other words, ayat dealing with the halal and the haram, uh, ayat uh, uh, dealing with uh, the basics of aqeed. When Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "Wa'bud Allah wa la tushriku bihi shay'a." You know, worship Allah alone and do not associate anyone uh, with Him. That's something which is clear. No one is excused from understanding that, that meaning. When Allah says, That your Lord has decreed that you only worship Him and that you're good to your parents. That's something which no one is excused from not knowing its meaning, that He is to be good to His parents. Okay, then there are other ayat which Ibn Abbas says that only the scholars understand its interpretation. I mean, the meaning is a little bit d- deep, so uh, the scholar would be able to explain its, its interpretation. Um, 
And likewise, there are certain ayat which only Allah knows its meaning of. And that's what Allah refers to in, in this ayah uh, in Surah Al-Imran, that only Allah knows interpretation. So there's no contradiction in that, inshallah. Shazakallah khair. A brother is challenging my writing or reading. Can you read that, please? Okay, aqidah is definite and therefore no difference of opinion can be given. However, in terms of hadith, especially ahad hadith, what determines a proof of saying of a prophet in this case? A sect are those groups that differ in the aqidah. However, your definition of aqidah is vague. What are the distinguishing factors that make a sect? Uh, something I... Uh, here I want to emphasize on those who do not believe that the ahad hadith should be incorporated into the aqidah but allow you to act upon it well you know that aqidah is definite and there's no difference of opinion in it I mean I don't accept that premise in the first place I mean I mean, what does the word aqidah mean aqidah means to knot or to tie and so therefore refers to any belief held by the heart and that's the definition of aqidah so that aqidah is definite meaning that there is no you know, the aqidah is two parts there is aqidah which is agreed upon which is the major you might say the major aspects of aqidah or the major points of aqidah or the major beliefs and there are matters of aqidah which are secondary matters of aqidah which there is a difference of opinion for like for example what was created first the throne or the pen this is, there's a difference of, of opinion concerning this okay so one cannot say it's definite and so therefore this is an issue of sunnah and bid'ah in this case I mean the ulama of ahl sunnah have differed regarding what is the first created the, the, the throne or the pen why? because there's a hadith where the Prophet wasallam says, he says that the first of what he of what was created was a pet. Okay, and depending upon how you read the hadith, you read it awala or awalu. I mean, it makes a difference in the Arabic language whether the the last letter, the the lamb uh, in the uh, word first, it has a fetha on it or it has a bumma upon it. Okay, and in another hadith in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet says that in Allah katab maqadir al-khalqi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote the decrees of the creation 50,000 years before he created the heavens and the earth and the hadith com- completes and his throne was upon the water so if Allah wrote the decrees and the decrees were written by the pen because the, the hadith says the first which Allah was created was a pen and said to the pen write the, the pen said what should I write write everything which will occur until the day of judgment but the hadith in Sahih Muslim says that his throne was upon the water when the decrees were being written. So what does that mean? It means the throne was there before the pen. I mean, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the inkling some people will get, okay? So as, as a result of that, some scholars said, well, that, oh, this is an indication that shows that the throne appeared before the pen. And at the same time, and so then they, so they took the hadith at the first, meaning among the first of what Allah created was the pen. And they said that the reading of the hadith which says awala points to this. That some of the narrators of the hadith say awala instead of awalu. Now, other scholars say no. That no, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet said awalu. And so the first, and so therefore it is the first. And the pen is, has something else to, to uh, the, the throne is, it came thereafter. So this is not something which is de- de- uh, definitive concerning that. Um, now, in terms of hadith, especially the ahad hadith, what determines a proof of the saying of a prophet in this case? Well, the premise that the ahad hadith are not accepted in matters of aqidah, first you have to prove to me uh, and establish for me that premise uh, before I, I will accept that the, the, the notion that if a uh, ahad hadith comes to aqidah is acceptable 
uh, is not acceptable or not uh, acceptable or not and so, th- and so this is the point I mean this in itself is an aqidah so and the people who say this they sort of go into a, a, what, I mean, what we say in English is a, a catch-22 or they're into a, you know a circuitous uh, argument in the sense that okay they say that in order to have a matter of aqidah it must be mutawatir and so therefore if it's that we will not accept the ahad hadith because they're not mutawatir but okay, so if it's that's an aqidah in and of itself, that premise. So that aqidah, which they're staying as a as a thing, needs an, a proof, a mutawatir proof to it, which they can't give. So they, they you know they come back to where they are, and so they can't by their own argument they can't prove their point. Okay, so um, now uh, those those people who do not accept ahad hadith and aqidah are people who've been. I mean, they're outside of uh, just to make come to the you know. Uh, just the bottom line uh, regarding this question. So, uh, I mean, those people who say that, you know, ahad hadith are not acceptable in aqidah, they're people of bid'ah, they're not people of ahl sunnah. And um, there's no evidence. In fact, I mean, in fact, if they were to accept that, I mean, you know, they end up denying the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in totality because the majority of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ are not mutawatir. They're, I mean, the mutawatir hadith of the Prophet ﷺ are about 110. Okay, and if you say the body of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, if you, I mean, the scholars say that you know the total number of hadith. I mean, not counting repetitions and so forth, of the Prophet is about ten thousand hadith. Okay, so if you only learn to accept one hundred and ten hadith, and 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 out of ten thousand, right? So what happens to the other nine thousand nine hundred or eight hundred ninety hadith? I mean, in other words, you're rejecting the, the Sunnah in total, right? And so, and, and that's what it comes down to. So that's why, in, in the end, I mean, these people are to be considered. And we can get into that more detail in Shah 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 you made a mention of wings in the Quran being mentioned and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also make mention of uh, birds the question is can one uh, say that the wings of the angels are similar to those of yani, tayr, uh, birds no one cannot say that I mean as I explained you know, what does the word, you know, what does ajnah or ajnah the plural mean? We understand that. I mean, if you speak the Arabic language, you understand that. But to say that the wings of the angels are like wings of birds, how can you make that analogy? Have you ever seen an angel before? And that's what I would ask the question. Have you seen an angel before? Did Allah tell you that an angel is like a bird or like, uh, or a bird is like an angel? Or did the Prophet say such a thing? So how do you know that the, the, the wing of the angel is like a wing of a bird? I mean, angels have wings, and we understand what wings are. But to say that this is like that, that's, I mean, speaking without knowledge. It's a matter of the unseen. So you, know, you can only make an analogy with, if, if somebody described to me, let's say I never met Abu Bashir, and somebody described to me and said, well, Abu Bashir is a man, he's this tall, and his complexion is like this, and he's this old, and so forth. I, in my mind, I can make an image of that, perhaps, right? And then when I see him, I might be, depending upon how good the description was given to me, I, I might be able to immediately recognize him or not. Why? Because I've seen other human beings, and I have an example to make an analogy to. But with an angel, or with a matter from the paradise, or a matter of hell, or with a matter referring to Allah, one cannot make any analogy to that, because these are matters of the unseen. Right, uh, this is the last question, inshallah. As we uh, mentioned before, a question has not been attended to in a certain lecture. Let's carry it forward to the lecture after that and so on, inshallah. We'll try our best not to miss any questions being raised. Uh, as you know, the Ashaira, uh, quite few people writing about the Ashaira, 
reference, Mr. Day. This is the uh, popular, mm. the popular topic. In the All right. Uh, as you know, the Ashaira have uh, degrees within themselves. Some are with, uh, some are less extreme, and some are not. At what stage do the Ashaira deviate where they cannot be cooperated with? Plus, uh, their interpretations cannot be regarded as an acceptable form of understanding. Well, uh, you know, all of their interpretations can, are, are considered not to be an acceptable form of understanding. The question is, is the person who forwards that interpretation, is he considered to be blameworthy in the Sharia or not? I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, you know, the fact that, that, you know, that they come with an interpretation which differs from the interpretation of the Prophet and his companions, then that interpretation is not acceptable. But the question is, the one who gave that interpretation, is he considered to be blameworthy in the Sharia? In other words, is he sinful? Is he to be condemned for that interpretation? This depends upon, you know, what led him to that interpretation. If he's a mujtahid, he's not held that way. Now, the, the fact that there are degrees within themselves, yes, they are. That's true. Some are less extreme. That's true. Uh, at what point uh, they are deviants and we cannot cooperate with them? Again, here, I mean, you know, anybody holding to an a creed which opposes the creed of Ahl-Sunnah is a deviant, is a deviant creed. Now, but the question of cooperation, I mean, it depends upon what the, the matter is. I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, and it depends if the person is calling to that bid'ah, and it depends if the person is in mujtahid or not, and it depends if the, if the proofs have been established against that person, and it depends upon the matter, and if, if there is sufficient uh, people of the people of the sunnah that one does not need them, and so forth. So all these factors... Uh, you know, enter into the matter. So one cannot make a general ruling regarding that. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, for this beneficial lecture, inshallah. The timetable has been altered a little bit for today, I mean, because we have run into the time for the tea and coffee break. We're going to make it shorter, but we're still going to have to come back for the uh, other lecture, inshallah, at quarter past 11. So we have some uh, 20 minutes from now for your break. Jazakumullah uh, khair. Try to be punctual, inshallah. Subhanakallah wa hamdika. Ashadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.